Hi, WorkWell listeners. I'm really excited to share that my book, Work Better Together, is officially out. Conversations with WorkWell guests and feedback from listeners like you inspired this book. It's all about how to create a more human-centered workplace. And as we return to the office for many of us, this book can help you move forward with strategies and tools to strengthen your relationships and focus on your well-being. It's available on Amazon or your favorite book retailer. I played collegiate soccer when I attended the University of Miami. I loved it, and I learned so much from that experience. One of the biggest lessons I learned was that when it comes to sports or any high-performance culture, our physical ability is only part of the equation. Mental health in sports is equally as important, but much less talked about and even less trained for. To perform at their best, athletes need to have a strong body and a strong mind. But that can be difficult when athletes face many unique mental health challenges. This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. I'm here with Dr. Inyaka Nalamti. She's a licensed psychologist with more than 15 years of clinical experience with organizations, sports teams, individuals, and families. Dr. Inyaka currently serves as the Vice President of Wellness and Clinical Services at the NFL. Well, Dr. Nyaka, thank you for joining us on the show today. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation. Yeah, me too. So give us the lay of the land. Let us get to know you and how you got where you are. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's an interesting <laughs> Loaded question, right? <laughs> um, it, it's funny. I actually just told this story a little earlier today. I, I actually started out as an engineer. I was an engineer, mm. but I was also an athlete um, and ran track in college. My senior thesis was a, a sports psychology related thesis. I'd always been curious about the impacts of sports and, and how it helped shape personality. Mm. Um, and my first job out of college, I worked with a nonprofit um, that supported the social development of, of kids of color who were transitioning from public schools in New York to private schools and, and really helping them to, you know, to, to sort of, again, sort of explore themselves from that social construct. And what I found was for a lot of, a lot of um, the young people that I worked with, um, you know, going to their games and, and then going to a meal after was a really good way to connect uh, and, and really sort of understanding, you know, using that sports space as, as a way of building relationships. Um, in that job, I also worked a lot with boys. I ended up getting all the boys schools. Early in my career, I started working with, you know, predominantly young, young men of color. And, and it's been interesting that that's sort of been my career trajectory. Um, I spent a lot of my early career working in college counseling centers where, because I, I, I've, I got a sports psych background, um, was able to work with not just the general student population, but also the student athletes, um, and then spent some time teaching and in private practice, um, have always been very passionate about helping people to explore mental health, um, the entire continuum of mental health. So not necessarily just looking at, at mental illness and diagnosable mm -hmm. disorders, but really, um, you know, helping people think about how can life be better? 
And so not just mental health, but then also looking at it primarily within uh, pop- among populations that don't necessarily um, you know, always think about things from from that angle, from from that mental health perspective. So, uh, you know, whether it's it's populations of color, men, you know, primarily working with men. So, it's it's been a, it's an area that I, I realize I've I've been passionate about my entire career. Um, so, I, I feel fortunate to to have landed where I I currently am. Well, and they're fortunate to have you. So, so let's talk about mental health and why it's so important for athletes. How it impacts performance, how it shows up. Um, you know, as a collegiate athlete myself, I feel like it was something that was never really talked about. It certainly wasn't something we trained for in the same way that we trained our physical abilities. Um, can you talk about why it's important for athletes? How it impacts performance, and and really what that's starting to look like in sports more and more. You know, it, it's interesting. Having been in this space for so long, I, um, I've i actually said to some people that the growth that we've had in terms of having this conversation in, in, among, in the wider audiences, um, the, the growth that we've had over the last three or four or five years has actually been lightning speed almost. Yeah. Um, because again, you know, I... I you know, I've, I've been in this space for 20, 25 years. And, um, you know, the fact that we are now talking about this publicly and, on, you know, in, in such a, a large forum and, and so many people are talking about it, I think is, um, is something that I would not have expected, you know, five years ago. So, so it, it, it while it, I think for some people, there's sort of a sense of finally, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it has been actually happening pretty quickly. So, so, you know, there's a couple of things. I, I think one, you know, one, thinking about mental health, again, as existing on this continuum, right? So from on one end where we're looking at, at um, thriving, sort of being our best selves, and, and on, on the other end of the continuum, sort of that, that mental health crisis or, um, you know, sort of really struggling. And, you know, what I, I like to remind folks is that we all have mental health, right? Mental health is just like physical health. It's something that we all have. Um, and, and depending on the day, we may be at different points on that continuum. Um, I, I think historically in the world of sport, what we have done is we've, we have equated mental health and mental illness, right? And we've mm-hmm. said, okay, so if someone is talking about their mental health, they're saying that they have a problem and we put that behind closed doors. And what we've seen more and more recently is this widespread recognition that that mental health is a part of all of us. Um, and to this idea that if we are intentional and in focusing on on all of our muscles, right, so our physical muscles and our mental mu- muscles, we perform better. Right. It's, it's almost when we think about it in that context, it's almost a no brainer. Right. Um, and, and when we have, you know, again, historically in sport, we focus on this this physical development. Um, and sometimes almost to the detriment or at, at a cost of our our mental uh, mental wellness. And, you know, um, to to pretend that that part of, of an individual doesn't exist, I think, does more of a disservice than than anything else. And so it, it is really this idea of of how how can we bring our full selves to what we do? Um, you know, our, our heads come with us. And the, in, the, in the world of sport, I also like to, one of the examples that I tend to use, um, particularly with, with rookies, is, is this idea that, um, 
you know, if the higher the level of performance, and I'm sure that it's it's even the same um, in the world of business, right? The higher the level of performance, the more the mental matters more yeah. than the physical, right? And so the example that I use with rookies a lot is, you know, if you look at the, the starting line of the 100 meter dash in the Olympics, where physically, right, everyone is, a, you know, is, is at the top. And the difference between first place and last place is, is seconds, hundredths of seconds. Yeah. Um, but the person who is the one who perseveres, who crosses the finish line first is really the one who is, is mentally stronger in that minute, right? Um, not to get, you know, overwhelmed by the crowd or the fear of false starting. And so, you know, we spend so much time working on our physical development. Um, why, especially at those higher levels of performance, why would we not think about spending, um, you know, some time on, on our mental on our mental development? And so what are um, some examples of things that you do with um, with athletes to help them develop mentally? You know, I, I think it, it's it's the range. So in in my role, I work a lot with the team clinician. So each team has a as has a, a team clinician on site, and you know, and they provide anything from from traditional counseling to education programs. Um, but but I, I think that it it there's there's quite a range. Part of it is is helping everyone to develop some level of mental health literacy, right? So helping them to understand the role that their mental health plays. So there's that self-awareness piece. So even just starting with the, like, how do you deal with stress? Let's, let's, let's help you become aware of that. So that way you have some control over managing it when you find yourself in stressful situations. Um, you know, how do we, um, you know, think about relationships, right? Um, and and you know, healthy relationships, and you know, relationships that might not necessarily be as healthy. How do we set boundaries? All of those things, I think, fall under that mental health umbrella. And those are all things that that we work with, you know, players around or staff, you know, anyone around. Um, and then when I was in private practice, very much the same thing. How do you teach the tools that someone can then employ on their own um, to to function better? in their lives. So not just on the field or in the swimming pool or, you know, um, on the court, but also in their relationships, in their families, um, you know, in, in school. So it, it's the same, it's literally teaching the same skill set. Right. I, I, I tend to say kind of, you know, what, what happens at home happens at work and what happens at work happens at home, right? You can, Absolutely. We try, we try to pretend we can separate those things, but we really can't. <laughs> no, absolutely. And you see relationship dynamics play out and oh, yeah. you know, all of those things. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you can attest to that. So, so let's talk about what are some of the, the unique challenges that, that athletes or, or specifically football players um, experience when it comes to their mental health? You know, I, I, I um, so I, there's it, again, it's a range. I, I think you know there is this perspective um, sometimes externally that you know, okay, these superstar athletes who are making all this money, what do they have to be stressed right. about or worried about? Um, you know, sport is a microcosm of society, right? So, so the things that we see in general public, you're gonna you're gonna see on sports teams. Um, and so there's certainly the day-to-day stressors. If we think about last year and COVID, you know, family dynamics and loss and grief and, um, and, you know, so you've got, you know, some of those things, but then there's also, 
you know, the added pressure of, of, um, you know, one of the things I, I especially what, like with the young players, rookies, you know, I, I let them know as a 22 year old, you aren't allowed to make the same mistakes as other 22 year olds make. Right. Because you live your life under a spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, you know, there's going to be some pieces there. So, you know, the, the, the pressure, the stress, I, I think about how social media, um, you know, plays a, a role uh, for athletes, right? So now you're in this, this, we're in a time where, where the public has an, you know, has an ability to sort of contact you directly or, you know, um, and, you know, when you think about players who might make a mistake on the court or on the field and, and become sort of vilified through social media or, or, you know, on, you know, sports center highlights and those kinds of things. Um, I, I think that there is, there's a, a piece about navigating relationships. Um, when I was in, in private practice, I would tell some of the, the players that I worked with that as a group collectively, they were some of the most isolated individuals I'd worked with because they don't, you, you know, it's hard to figure out why someone connected to me, mm. um, you know, making sure that those relationships are genuine. There, there is this, you know, so that navigating those relationships, navigating boundaries, I think what becomes interesting too for um, you know, NFL players is is I, I, I think that there is something around um, the fact that that their faces aren't visible, right? So there is this thing, you know, there's there is this this disconnection. I, like I, I, I let folks know sometimes you can walk past a player on the street and not ne- unless they're a marquee player, you wouldn't necessarily know that they play in the NFL. So there is almost this 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 tendency to almost dehumanize them. Mm. Right. Because we, you know, if you don't see their faces, then then we don't necessarily see them as as humans like us. And and so there is this sometimes this tendency, even when you think about sort of the press, but how they and some of the media about how they describe or talk about um, players. And, and, you know, it's it's so you, so you've got a lot of those a lot of those pressures. And then, you know, and then it's a it's a sport where I think sports in general, there, there are no guarantees. So, you know, I like to say this is one of the, the worlds where you could have a great season and not necessarily have a job the next year. And so, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty um, that also goes into it. So, so you know, it's we'll see the same challenges with this group as we will see with any other group. But I think that there are some unique features uh, around the, the sports space that, that make, the, their, make their experience a little different. And are there, um, you know, I guess like, and you've talked about this a little bit, but just, you know, specific stereotypes that kind of follow athletes around that, you know, negatively impact their mental health. I I mean, I'm kind of, that's a rhetorical question in a way, (laughs) but can can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like any kind of negative stereotype would probably affect your, your mental health, but, but how do you help them deal with that? I mean, it, it is, it's, it's, it's it's a challenge, right? Yeah. So so how does the world interact with me? Do they interact with me based on who I am and what they see, or do they interact with me based on these preconceived notions that they might have of me, whether they're positive or negative? Um, you know, I, I think that there is, a, you know, there's also this, you know, we talk about sort of, high, and, and you can speak to this, the high performance culture. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that there are some some stereotypes that we we have to navigate just in that high performance. Um, high pressure culture, but then you've got a sport like football, which is hy- also hyper masculine, and so you've got you know so, some of the stereotypes that go along with that. 
Um, you know, so so there are I think that there are lots of, of stereotypes that, that players are constantly trying to navigate. And, you know, and, and then how do you make the decision around um, where do I invest my mental energy? Right. Uh, you know, there we encourage and, you know, we encourage sort of this idea of, you know, how do you control what you can control? Right. Control the controllables. Um, but it's also it can also be a challenge, particularly when we think about you know, 22, 23, 24 year olds, um, it's also a challenge to, to, to be able to let some of the stuff that you can't control yeah. go. Well, they're human too. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> so, um, so it, 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 all of it, I think is, you know, again, when we think about, you know, we think about it from a, the context of, of, um, stress and pressure, it's just, there's just a lot to, to kind of, to, to have to navigate. Um, it's this, it's interesting. I've, I've heard, I've, and I've seen some of this in the media, um, more, we're getting more guys who are coming in who are saying, you know, I, I, you know, made the intentional decision to get off of social media. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I started to recognize that it was having a negative impact on, on my mental health. Um, you know, so how can I figure out how to create a space where I am, not exerting so much emotional energy um, and, and managing some of these things. And so do you, um, do you think that, and maybe this has changed and, and we kind of talked about the, the progression over the last, you know, four to five years, do you, do you feel like the mental health stigma is worse in the sports industry? I mean, we've obviously seen a lot of the you know recent news that's come out, you know, across the sports industry, related to mental health. Um, and some of it's really positive and, and some of it's not. <laughs> um, do you think that the, the stigma is worse than it is in broader society? Do you think it's the same? I know you mentioned it's kind of a, a microcosm. Is it just kind of different challenges perhaps? I think it's, I think it's, they're different challenges. And I think that depending on the sport, Mm-hmm. Um, you also might see varying degrees of, of stigma, right? Um, and, you know, so, so, so I like to, you know, one of the things that I, I remind folks of is, is that, you know, when we think about stigma around mental health, like there's a, particularly as it relates to the NFL, there's a, there's an intersection um, or accumulation of, of factors that contribute to that, right? So, so whether it's, it's around race, you right. know, um, you know, you think about black, you know, a sport that's primarily black men, and you think about sort of some of the stigma that's associated with mental health within, you know, African American community. Um, and then you think about the high performance world, and so there's the the stigma that happens around mental health in, in that space. And then you think about the stigma that happens in any any space that's hyper masculine, right? So, so they're all so I think kind of compounded. This, exactly. <laughs> yeah. it, that's exactly it, right? Yeah. So, so I think that there is this sort of interaction effect that you end up getting. So, I, so it's it. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it's it's greater in sports than it is in anything else. I, I think you just happen to have a, a combination of, of factors that are coming together when we think about the world of sport. Plus, then this idea too that that we're a culture that has has you know um, again dehumanized our our athletes. Right, we put them on this pedestal and we sort of say, hey, this this person is superhuman. Um, and, and I think that that then also contributes to, to some of that stigma. And so, um, when you're working with the, with the athletes, the players, I mean, how do, how do they, how do you kind of teach them, you know, the, the difference between 
good stress and bad stress. I mean, as, as athletes, um, you know, obviously they perform well under certain types of stress. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, too much stress of any time, any kind or chronic stress can become bad stress. And so what do they do to kind of modulate and oscillate this, this, you know, this stress and pressure that they're really truly like constantly under. And I think some of it probably causes them to perform well and, and others not so well. So how do they differentiate between, you know, what's truly good and what's bad? You know, it's, it's, and I, and I probably say it's, it's probably the same in, in, um, in the business space. I think, you know, we all have, we all have varying, uh, we all have a different sort of optimal stress level, right? Or you know, in the sports world, we talk about sort of that performance, that arousal, sort right. of inverted U, right? And so all of us, for all of us, what 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 is our optimal level is different. Um, and and so I, I do think that there are some people who who enjoy a higher level, uh, you know, sort of adrenaline rush and those kinds of things than others. Um, I, I think where uh, the work that we've been able to do is we're, we're is, is educating players around that, right? To be able to say, okay, you know, not all stress is is bad stress, right? You know, stress is, is literally anything that that causes sort of a, a you know a reaction, whether it's brain or, or body, or something that requires us to respond, and and that could be the result of great things that happen. That can be the result of of di- difficult things, right? So you right. stress versus distress. So I think the first piece is really helping them to un- educating them and helping them to understand that. And then understand themselves in a way where they can sort of say, okay, so when I do feel distress, um, you know, how do I cope with it? And when I do feel you stress, when good things happen, and but they still require a change, how can I cope with that? And so what what we help them to really understand is that, you know, while you know, we don't want you to say avoid stress, um, but also know that that too much stress over time, poorly managed, um, can lead to uh, you know, a whole host of, of issues, whether it's it's poor decision making or or actually result in um, diagnosable mental health concerns. So I, I think the first piece is just really helping to educate them around it. Um, and then that self-awareness piece, helping them to learn and then helping them to develop that toolbox. I like to say, you know, so so what's in your stress management toolbox? Um, you know, whether that's asking for help or listening to music or, you know, I, I need you to have a pretty well-developed toolbox so that you can, you know, that you know that you can sort of go in and pick something up when you're in one of those moments. Um, so, so that, that self-awareness to say, okay, you know, what are the things that stress me? Um, how, what's my tell, right? So what, you know, yeah. for me, is it, is it, do I get emotional? You know, do I isolate? Do, do you know, you know, is it difficult for me to concentrate? What's my tell? How do I know? And then what are the things that I know I can do that are going to be healthy ways of, of managing it? Um, what's been cool to see is you're getting more and more players who are coming in who already have some awareness of it because you're, they're more and more um, uh, collegiate athletic programs that have mental health yeah. professionals that are embedded in them. And so, so players are coming into the league that already having had some introduction to mental health or some mental health literacy, which I think helps. But it's, but you know, it's the same thing that we would teach anyone really right. um, around, you know, how to use sort of you know, develop that awareness and that's those stress management skills. Um, it's just knowing that for this population, you know, they're they're going to have to empl- employ them in, in different settings or different contexts. Yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned you know isolation before, um, and that you know in particular football players, NFL players, 
you know, it, it, it can potentially kind of be more of an, an isolating sport. And, and I guess as, as I reflect over, you know, the global pandemic and the last 15 months, all of us have probably had some experience of, of isolation and, and the impact that it can have on our mental health. So can you talk a, a little bit more about that, either just broadly <laughs> um, or, or in the context of, of, of the players and, and the NFL and, and potentially some strategies and how all of us can, you know, deal a little bit better with, with the isolation that, that we might be feeling? No, I, I think it's a great question. It's it's interesting, I think, as, as we reflect on this last year, um, yeah. you know, while it was, it, it's definitely been challenging and we've seen a lot of things come out. I, I think one of the things that it has done is it's normalized um, the need for all of us to prioritize our mental health, right? Yeah. I think it, it, what it's done is it's, it's, it's brought this conversation a little bit more in the forefront, right? And so, um, so you know, even those, even the most, like to say, the, even the most psychologically healthy of us, you know, had struggled, you know, had some challenges over this last, the last 15, 16 months. And so I, I think what it, the, the pandemic has done is it's, um, it's, it's allowed us to, it's given us permission, right, to sort of say, okay, I need to, you know, how do I prioritize my mental health? The isolation piece, I think, where we saw a lot of the challenges for players last year was. You know, for a number of the players, they chose to live separate from their families because they were going to work every single day and sort of exposing themselves. And so, you know, whereas in the past they would have, you know, they would have had, you know, been able to go home to 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 you know wives or significant others and kids, um, they chose to live separately so that they could, you know, have a a safer season. And, And I think, you know, a number of the clinicians talked a little bit about about you know sort of the cost that that. That that had for for a lot of the players in terms of of you know again that isolation and that loneliness, um, and and so you know it it is it, it it is one of those things where again we saw that across uh, the the country um, or the, across the world to be honest. But I, I think what it also has done is it's encouraged people to be more intentional in um, reaching out and connecting. Right, mm-hmm. so. You know, you saw some folks who, you know, had weekly Zoom calls with their extended families and, and you know, and and so, it, you know, whereas in the past they only saw each other, you know, every couple of years, here was an opportunity to, to really connect um, on a more consistent basis. And and um, and so what, what we saw was, again, players be much more intentional in terms of connecting with each other as well, right, making sure that they provided some of that support. But it, it is, I think that that's, it's, when we think about mental health and, and some of the things that we need to do to prioritize, I like to remind folks, it, it, you know, not a lot of, it's not, it's not super sexy and it's not super complex, right? Um, you know, some of the basics, eating and sleeping and exercising, making sure that we get social connection. But the trick is making sure that we prioritize it and, mm-hmm. and are intentional in inserting it, because I think it's easy to, to almost to forget about those things and consider them optional, um, though those are the things that 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 are sort of our lifeblood. Yeah, absolutely, and and not too terribly different in in the business world. <laughs> we tend to kind of 
prioritize everything and everyone else over our own uh, self-care. So I find myself talking about the very same things quite quite a bit. So let's talk about the players a little bit and, and how you've seen, I mean, are they receptive to counseling and treatment if they're struggling? Has that changed over the years? Has it become kind of more, you know, acceptable? Um, and and if, if someone isn't open to treatment and, or help and they, and they really need it, how do you, how do you get them there? What's the, what, what kinds of conversations can we have with people? It's a great question. Um, so I think, so there are a couple of things, there's a couple of different ways I'd answer that. I think that players are certainly um, becoming more open to the idea of working with someone who's going to help them strengthen their mind. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so, uh, and so you've got some who, you know, who will say things like, again, it's, it's, I see it like a a strength and conditioning coach or nutrition. It's, it's, it's something that I can do that's going to make me better. Um, and, and so, you know, we like to say, you know, if, if you can, if you can come in, you know, when things are good, it's really, we're looking at really at performance enhancement. Right. Um, and I think historically, you know, there is, we typically look at, at, at emphasizing our mental health when it's a crisis right. versus you know, being proactive. So one of the things that, um, so in 2019, uh, the NFL and the Players Association uh, passed a behavior, implemented a behavioral health agreement that uh, requires there to be a team clinician at every club and, and they've got to be there a certain number of hours. We've got a few clubs that actually have a full-time person. And part of that is exactly for that reason, so that it is someone who is completely integrated into the culture and just an additional resource, right? Just like our strength and conditioning coach, just like our our dietitian or nutritionist, this is an additional resource. And so it is not someone who I need to see just when there is a crisis. It's some someone that I know is here to help me be my best self, right? And so I think you do have some, uh, there's a, an increased recognition and acceptance of that. At the same time, I think that there's also much more willingness to talk about mental health ex- experiences um, and share mental health stories. And I think that the more that um, we can do that in a way that's healthy to the person who's sharing their story, I think that that you know this is a, a space where dialogue in a healthy and safe way um, helps to decrease stigma and helps mm-hmm. to make sure that that other people are 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 you know looking for the resources and using the resources. Um, I think where, from a societal perspective, where we'll probably have more of a challenge is making sure that, you know, making sure that access to those resources is yeah. is equal and the quality of those resources is equal. Um, but you know, I think in, in this in this space, um, I, I think you are seeing more and more players who are recognizing the value of that resource and are saying, "Hey, again, this is just another another tool that's going to help me get better." Um, and so, you know, let me make sure that I use it. When we think about folks who might struggle with asking for help or using some of the resources, I think that's where we see the value of um, making sure that everyone has some mental health literacy, right? Because it's really going to be the person who has the relationship is going to be the person who can really encourage someone to get help. And that might not necessarily be a mental health professional, right? That might be someone else that might be a peer. And so making sure that that we are also sharing education and information and knowledge with with everyone in the space, then they can sort of recognize the signs and symptoms in each other, 
right? And and kind of pull someone aside and say, hey, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned. Let's go together um, to 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 see if we can get some support or some resources. So I think, but, you know, but I, I think that that's, it, we see the same parallels again in, in the larger, in the larger world, right? Um, and how do we make sure that everyone has some working knowledge um, so they can think about themselves and, and know when they're off, but then they can also recognize some of those things in other people and, and sort of, you know, convene a support system around them. And is there, um, you know, as I, I think about, you know, leaders in the business world or really in any organizations, or do the, do the coaches receive kind of a higher level training or a more specific training so that they can look for signs that a player might be struggling or is it, you know, everybody has access kind of across the board? So it's, 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 you know, we're, what we're really working to create is a world where everyone has access. Right. right. Um, I, I think that, you know, um, coaches aren't, aren't exempt from, from being on that mental health continuum and, and, and we think there are leaders. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, yeah. and, and to be honest, yeah. um, in some ways they might be less healthy, right. Because totally. yeah. it, it's, it, it, so, um, so, so I, I do, you know, and we've, and again, we've got the range, right. So we've got some clubs where, um, you know, the coaches recognize that we do have, you know, additional resources for coaches so that they can, you know, make sure that they make use of, of those resources. But when we talk about the education and the literacy piece, it's really something that, that, um, it's required for the entire organization. So this is not just, Hey, you know, we, we're here to sort of fix players and we're making sure everyone has education. It's really making sure that everyone has a, some working knowledge and making sure that everyone has access to the resources. Because what we know is is the healthier the, the leadership is, the healthier the organization is. Right. Right. And so there is a trickle down effect. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So I have a, a couple more questions. Um, and, and this is kind of pulling on some of your prior experience. But for parents um, who have kids that are very involved in sports, um, are, are there is there specific advice that you would give them in terms of helping their kids to protect and kind of train their mental health? So I, I let's see. I, I would say a couple of things. Um, I, I think again, I, I am a fan of everyone having mental health literacy. So parents, kids, because again, young people when they're struggling with mental health concerns, they share. They're more likely to share it with a peer than they are with an adult, right? And so. Yeah the more that we equip them with some of that knowledge as well, developmentally appropriate. I, I think that that's really important. We're seeing more and more school systems that are integrating mental health curriculums into yeah. middle school and high school. So again, I think it's important that everyone has that knowledge. I think when you're working with athletes, for parents of athletes, you know, it, it's, there are a couple of things. One is, is helping young people to understand that just like we need to develop physically, you have to do the same thing mentally. Right. And so not not ignoring that part of of the, the, the process and the experience of of, you know, of sports. Um, the other piece, and this is particularly this is something for parents is is also making sure that um, you are helping young athletes develop multiple aspects of their identity. And 
And I say that um, because I, I think what we see too often is young people who sort of get this, they latch onto this athlete identity as young people. And then that's how everyone in the world interacts with them. And that's the only aspect of their identity that gets developed. And then when something happens where they may have to shift that identity or they, you know, or they make it to the NFL and they have a 10 year career and then still have to shift, you know, post career. Um, that, that that's a struggle, which has a lot of mental health implications. And so, you know, I, one of the things I really encourage parents to do is is make sure that you're you're talking about things other than sports with with your young athletes. Um, you know that that it's that that you're not he- helping them to look at sports from a, a zero sum perspective, right? Being able to say, okay, you know, what went well and what's an area of growth versus, hey, you know, you were great or you're terrible. I'm really helping them to explore that. But I think that identity development piece is really, really, really important. Yeah, that's r- really powerful. I, something in, in, you know, in my world that, you know, we think about in terms of, of retirement, but retirement is kind of much later in life, but, but we still see that, you know, especially somebody that, you know, has been in, in a single career for, mm-hmm. for a very long time. And then, you know, they, they move on and retire with, you know, and, and they've kind of defined that themselves that way for their whole life. Um, and then, you know, and then what do they do? And then um, you, and, and in those kinds of situations, I mean, then you see you post-retirement, their, their health just drops, right? Yeah. yeah um, absolutely. Physical they, and mental health. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. like they, they've lost their sense of purpose. And so yeah. I think that that's, I think particularly for young people, really helping them to, to explore other aspects of who they are. Right. Yeah. I think it's so important. Um, so for all of us, <laughs> for all of us, for all of us don't get so locked into one role. Exactly. Um, we are all multiple people. I mean, yeah. we, we all have multiple identities. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I think that that's a that's something that that I worked a lot when I was in private practice, a lot with parents around. Yeah. So, you know, you don't get to ask how the game went right? <laughs> like, or ask how it went. But in, in a, you know, sort of a. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna need you not to be the loudest person in the room, um, right. you know, right. on the field. And and so um, because I, I think sometimes, you know, I've worked with a number of young athletes who um, whose mental health has has really, uh, you know, who, who have had some negative mental health outcomes because of the parental pressure. Right. Um, yeah. You know, to, to, to be, you know, this this thing. So, yeah, um, that's a great question. So, so one last question, how do you personally take care of your mental health? What are your go-to strategies? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> On this languishing Wednesday. Yes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it's, it's, so I, I've had to, I, this is actually something that I've, I've had to, to, to expand as I've gotten older. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for me, you know, I was an athlete. And so for me, exercise is certainly an outlet and, um, you know, there is something cathartic for me about going out and pounding the pavement for a run. Like, I mean, that's, that's a, a, something that, that is, is really important. Um, and making sure that I am being intentional and in, in, in getting that in, it, it's, it, it makes a difference. I can tell the difference in terms of how I interact with other people, whether or not, you know, I've, I've exercised consistently. Um, I, I, you know, I've got a couple of really good friends who, you know, I can pick up the phone and say, okay, um, here's what's going on. Talk me down. Right. And mm. so, and either they can, can help me shift my perspective. They can make me allow, help me laugh at myself. Or they can challenge me. Right. And that's, that's a, a 
for me a, a good way to, to, to manage my stress. Um, because, you know, sometimes it's very easy to get locked in and, and we only see things from oh, yeah. one angle. Um, <laughs> you know. We take it all the way down the river to worst case scenario. <laughs> Absolutely. So I've, I've got, you know, I've got friends who I can call and say, okay, I need you to talk me off the ledge because I know that I'm getting close. Right. Um, and I think when I was younger, I, I was probably much more hesitant to to use those lifelines right yeah. now. I'm like, uh-uh, no, no, no I, I need to send a text. I need to give a call. I, I need you to call me now. Um, so I, I think that that's something that I've gotten better at as I've gotten older. You know, I, I have, I, I am also learning to, to, to focus on the, you know, control what I can control pieces, right? Um, here, here are the things that are within my control. Um, and then, you know, the, there is, you know, I, I think, uh, <laughs> one of the things that we tell guys is, is, you know, make sure you have your, your something that is a go-to if you've got two minutes and you need to, to, to calm down or if you've got two hours or, mm. um, and so, you know, I am one of those people who will, if I'm sort of vegging, I will watch law and order reruns. Um, so <laughs> that is, that is sometimes a go-to. Um, and, and the other thing that I think for me that, you know, prayer is certainly, uh, you know, what a, about a, sleep? <laughs> actually, that's what, I, that's one of the things I was actually getting ready to say. So here is one of the things that as I have gotten older, yeah. <laughs> um, and am starting to really, um, uh, you know, make sure that I am prioritizing is, is that sleep piece. Because I think, you know, and I, I tell rookies all the time, I'm like, yeah, you guys think sleep is optional. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's these looks that they give each other, and you know, and part of it is like the, I I I've been there. I completely get it, um, but that is something that I have am working, and it and this is a, a constant challenge for me is is to make sure that I am I am prioritizing my sleep. I you know, I am short tempered. I am. I tell people if I, if I haven't slept. I walk into the office. There are people I probably should, I, I intentionally avoid because it's not going to be good. Well, my team uh, intentionally avoids me when they know I haven't slept. Oh, see. <laughs> it's probably because they've learned the hard way, right? That is awesome. That is fantastic. But it is. It's and and the more that I've read about just really yeah. um, yeah. the importance of sleep, uh, I, I think it is it is something that you know as I get older, I am starting to 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 you know. The foundation for everything. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. No question. I find it fascinating how we really have become this culture that that um, has has started to think about sleep as this optional thing, right? We don't take vacations and we don't sleep. Yep. We got to change that. We're working on it. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. One person at a time. It has been awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for your wisdom, for your advice. I know that there's so much that I took away from this conversation, and I know that our listeners will too. So I appreciate your your time and your openness and your vulnerability. Well, I am so appreciative of the opportunity. I really, really am. Um, I could talk about this stuff all day. So, And I love the fact that you guys are doing this. This is fantastic. I'm so grateful Dr. Inyaka could be with us today to talk about mental health in sports. Thank you to our producers, Rivet360, and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com, or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. 
If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series, or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well.